0: So normally I try and balance these intros out with something funny or something joyous or something to think about. And it's a weird thing to ask yourself what to do, what to say, when the worst bits of human nature come in and intervene in the ongoing joy you'd like to spread. When an event happens like what happened over the weekend, someone you know may have the exacting and perfect way to frame the event, giving you the excuse to say, yes, that, that is what I want to say. In another sense, others will comment and will simply bring out the anger, the fear, the rage, and contempt we feel and will have us say that, that is what is wrong with all of us. But neither of these, and the one in particular, really, truly heal our pain. We know we will move forward. In fact, we know we must. It is, in this exact kind of situation, the only appropriate way to cope. The questions of why will come, as always, and we always know they must. And the answers, which will be plentiful and speculative and border on the ridiculous at times, will also, as always, be highly unsatisfying. But even if we did know why, it doesn't change what happened. It only gives us hope that moving forward, we can, we must, be better. For Joe and I, our families and our CMI family in particular, we deal daily in the mundane, the frivolity of work, of content, of marketing, of advertising, of business. We laugh, we snark, we hopefully spread some joy that is from time to time intervened by the worst of humanity. This is what we do, and we will continue to do it today, the joy, the frivolity, the snark. This is our theme today, moving forward, not moving on, moving forward. So for the lack of words I have today, I lean on the words of one of my favorite poets, John O'Donohue, who says in one of his poems, which is a blessing really, on the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue come to awaken you in a meadow of delight. That's what I'd like to say today. So in the spirit of the rainbow, let's move forward, not on, but forward with yes, the frivolity, the joy and the work ahead of us. So if you're ready, let's roll.
1: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
0: Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 135 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, June 13th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague,
1: and the head... Of our family of content marketing, Mr. Joe polizzi, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fine obviously your uh your introduction uh hit hit close to home with a lot of people and yeah, well, I hope it I
0: hope it's somewhat meaningful. I mean moving forward right we're not we're not forgetting, but we we have to we have to keep going.
1: you know, I just uh, i'm gonna you and I do actually a fairly good job of not being political I <laughs> maybe some people would <laughs> right. disagree with that but I think we do a pretty maybe. good job and yeah. this is the only thing that I was sort of at a loss because when you have kids you have to explain things and right. my oh oldest my how was that? well my oldest just asked me I mean, he obviously sees the news he probably saw the news before I did of what happened in Orlando and he asked me a very simple question and you know Take it for what it's worth. This is not me projecting anything. This is the question I received from my son. And it was, Dad, why is it so easy to buy a gun? That's it. <laughs> yeah, right. And how do you respond to that? It's just frustrating. It's just, you know, I'm at a, I'm it at is. a loss. And so I'm actually trying to figure out, you know, what do you tell your kids regarding this? And, you know, of course, we went on and said, you know, maybe, we, maybe this is a time when we actually should contact our representative. <laughs> you know, what else? What yeah. do you do? <laughs> At this right point. yeah so
0: yeah it's a it's 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 a tough one it 's an absolutely tough one because you just don't know you know, I mean so much of what you see on social media and so much of what you see on the television, you know, and this is what I was trying to get to anyway, in the introduction, which is. We talk past each other, right? We, you know, there is, you know, it's, it's the, the debate isn't a debate. It's simply, and, uh, you know, it's, it's espousing of two sides of views, and there is no understanding. There is no, there is no change, um, one way or the other, right? And so, it's, it's, it's a frustrating thing when these things continue to happen and again and again and, and yet you know, we have, we, you know, we, it's sort of the same sort of template now that just happens. Everybody gets angry. Everybody starts blaming. Everybody starts looking for a why we start looking for reasons. Those answers don't come easy. And so when they don't come easy, they just sort of start to fade out into a trickle. And then it, when then it's rinse and repeat all over again. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to sort of just continue on this cycle without, you know, trying to sort of, put a stop in it and say okay let's try something anything right you know let's just try it and you know just to try and stem some of this because it's 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 really it's really yeah, um it's you know painful.
1: sort of on the you know sort of on the topic as we talk about this but this is specifically to social media and just how we get our news and communications but to your yeah. point it's been really interesting to see, and, and I've, I've seen this firsthand with a lot of my family members who basically, you know, they have their Facebook feed or they just watch Fox News or they just watch MSNBC or whatever the case is. And they get one side, one one, you know, slanted look at this is how it is. And especially if you've cultivated your friends over time, you're basically getting all your news and information from basically the same people every time. Yeah. And you're great. sort of feeding into it. And, and and this is probably why we're where we're at with our election cycle as well. You've got these, you know, you've got multiple camps uh, and there's no real discourse going on. And it's just interesting that, you know, if you're a brand today, you'll get it back to the point of the show. You know, that's something that you really have to deal with if you're trying to break into a new audience. It's just something you need to be aware of. Uh, that a lot of a lot of the same information is going back and forth, and maybe this, maybe this is the even though there's more information out there than ever before, uh, we're not seeing the the people out there aren't seeing a lot of that uh, the different discussions and debates that are going on. We're seeing the same thing over and over again.
0: So yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. And it's you know, it's it, I think it was two or three or four shows ago we talked about that study that came out that said that people seek out the content that agrees with their point of view, but they subscribe to the content that is contrary to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, which was a really interesting idea. So, you know, coming back again to the <laughs> our little nonsensical show that we do every week, you know, it's basically if you look at that from a perspective of a brand, it's it's you know, having that unique, distinct point of view is going to put you at odds with a certain member, you know, certain members of your audience, but having that challenger type of mindset does at least according to this one study, tends to draw more people who will ultimately, you know, at least subscribe to to it being convinced, right? Being convinced of your unique approach or point of view on the world.
1: I can't remember. I was at uh Brian Clark's conference authority, this is last year, and I remember when Ann Handley came up and her the whole point of her whole story was you have to um I can't remember how she put it, but it was basically exactly what you said. If you are going to grow an audience over time, there has to be a group of people that you are that are going to dislike everything you have to say and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And if you're exactly not, right. it, it basically yeah. nobody's going to dislike what you're going to say in some way. You're probably not standing for anything and it probably actually won't make any impact on anyone.
0: That's exactly so. right. That's exactly right, because, you know, I mean, this goes to what we I know we did talk about last um, because I got a few tweets on it. Thank you very much, by the way, on that, Um, which was the. Um, the whole idea is that there are no neutral experiences, right? You know, when we create experiences for customers or our audiences, there are no such thing as a neutral experience. You either, you either create value or you, you create something that detriments your brand. There's no, nobody ever goes, Oh, that was, I feel very neutral about that. You know, it's like you, you're creating something that somebody wants to share and wants to say, I agree with this. Or you're creating something that somebody, I don't agree with this, and this is why. And and either of those can be positive outcomes. But quite frankly, if you don't stand for it, then you don't stand for anything.
1: Have you ever seen one of those content audits that they show the green light, yellow light, red light for the, the content? Like if somebody reviews the content, they'll say, oh, this one uh, was exactly on point, on mission, did exactly what we needed to do. We got good results, green light. And you have very few. Yes. Usually, have very few green lights. <laughs> <overall>. That's right. <laughs> and you have <laughs> exactly. a lot of yellows, and you have some reds. A lot of yellows. So that's that's a, right. But well, what you say is, a, it's a really, I think, a really important. If you're going to do something like that with your content, you probably just say, you know, a yellow light. That's that's not neutral. That's negative as well. Yeah, Maybe no, not exactly. as negative, but <laughs> you're negative. You're
0: about ready to crash. <laughs> so,
1: just, so then if you really looked at it that way, you're, you're, which is probably yeah. the realistic way to look at it, you're probably saying, oh my gosh, this is terrible. We are horrible at yeah. this. <laughs> we need to change something. And we say, yes, you do. Please stop doing exactly. this anyways. All right. What, do, we have, uh, do we have news this week?
0: Or, we have How a we lot do? of news, actually, to talk about this week. It was, in addition to being a very uh, painful weekend, it was also a uh, a very big news week, and starting with a breaking news story that has literally happened this morning as we record this. Um, our top story is LinkedIn has been acquired by Dun 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 Microsoft. Um, we are going to link to the actual LinkedIn blog post that uh, that actually announced this, and it says today we are excited to share that LinkedIn has entered into an agreement to be acquired by Microsoft. We are joining forces with Microsoft to realize a common mission to empower people and organizations. LinkedIn's vision to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce is not changing, and our members still come first so what say you Joe Polizzi is this a good thing a bad thing a meaningless thing I mean I have a take on this but I wanted to well, we haven't had a chance to even talk we about it I haven't even so. talked about it what do you think uh, I
1: gotta tell yeah. you when I first saw it come through in the morning I was not surprised at all I didn't even say like oh wow I said right yeah yeah of course yeah like about time <laughs> it's kind of what, what I I don't know if it's good about time or bad, but it's interesting that they're going to really uh, Microsoft at least from the blog post that I'm reading is going to keep it quite independent. So LinkedIn will retain its branding and uh, and how it runs, and I guess they have similar enough purposes and missions and. I don't know about the culture side, but you know, they're going to leave that alone. Apparently, at least that's what the CEO of LinkedIn is talking <laughs> well, about. we'll see well, how well, we'll see how long we'll they see. can continue to lose money and have that still be true. Well, it was interesting. <laughs> I went through, um, you know, went through the. Jeff Weiner's post on LinkedIn, and he's talking about here's all the enormous opportunities. You know, one massively, you know, scale, reach. You know, we've heard that before. More reach because Microsoft has sure. over a billion customers. And of course, we can reach all these people. So there's all kinds of things that we can do. And what if LinkedIn is interwoven throughout Outlook and calendar and everything else they have? All right. Okay. We'll see. Second one was all about education, which I think is actually the most interesting one for me because if ding 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 yes exactly exactly. so if you said oh well what's office all about office is all about i mean there's a there's of course a a pure line to education in the workplace with all the office tools and of course you've got linkedin and lynda.com and there's something absolutely there um, and then the the last one that I just thought was interesting was giving sponsored content customers the ability to reach Microsoft users anywhere across the Microsoft ecosystem and if you're thinking you're like if I'm a Microsoft user that stinks I mean like that's no fun who wants that I don't want that it's like great and Microsoft's buying LinkedIn and I'm a Microsoft customer and I get to see more advertising. Yay! Yeah. So, anyways, I just yeah. thought that, that was. So, what's your what's your take on the whole thing?
0: Okay. So, mine. So, the interesting thing to me um, is that all of the headlines, at least thus far, seem to be, and this is, you know, to, I'm going to pay homage to my Godfather friend here, uh, meaning you, um, where you predicted so many companies would start buying media companies. Here's what the headlines have missed so far to me: Microsoft just bought. One of the world's top 60, and I just went out and did the research this morning, one of the world's top 60 media companies, by revenue anyway, um, in the world. And they did so at 8x their revenue. And so they looked at it and said, here is the biggest, I mean, they just bought a huge media That's company. Right. And that has, you know, 400 million subscribers, 100 million active subscribers, if you want to look at it that way. They bought it for $2 billion, you know, which puts it right around, you know, LinkedIn at $2 billion is right around the size of a Scripps or a Time Inc. or uh, IAC or Univision or Tribune. Um, but And by the way, bigger than AOL, bigger than the New York Times. In terms of media, you look at LinkedIn, two thirds of their revenue come from the employer services and media and and getting, you know, getting ads basically out for job placements. That's where most of their money comes from. They've actually struggled in monetizing other areas. And so hopefully, to your point, they can do something interesting there and start getting more contextual advertising out via content. But they're, you know, one of the world's largest and leading business media producers and with the influencers you being one of them and all of that that opportunity is still there and then you look at the numbers and you go okay well that's 57 dollars they paid per subscriber so they're obviously valuing linkedin's subscriber base very high 8x of revenue um and here's the thing, LinkedIn is still losing money. I mean, lo- LinkedIn is losing money. And quite frankly, to the point you've made many, many times in in the basis of your prediction of companies buying media companies is how much cash they had sitting on the sidelines. Microsoft has had so much cash sitting on the sidelines forever, them and Oracle and Apple have all this just hor- I mean hundreds of billions of dollars of cash. this is a drop in the bucket. They can they could do this 98 more times, right I mean before they you know before they even mm-hmm. start dipping really seriously into their into their cash reserves. So this doesn't really this is an actually a pretty low risk bet for Microsoft. It's a big acquisition from the sexiness standpoint, but it's in the scheme of life, it's actually
1: not a huge risk for Microsoft to try and make this thing work. It's so nice that you brought that up. I didn't even talk to you about it, that you, that you positioned it that way. That a I've been working on whether or not I should publish an article on that for LinkedIn, specifically around why you know, everyone's talking about the data. Well, hopefully I just gave you the oh, outline I for think, such. I think, uh, I think you might have, sir. Um, everyone talks about the data. You're right. But basically they yeah. bought – Microsoft is purchasing an, an audience, um, that's
0: exactly it. That's exact. That's the right way to look at this. Right. And, and you know, we'll see if they can do anything with it. I mean, to your point, we'll see if they can actually execute on this, but even if they can't, and this is the point that I've been making lately in my keynote and these are such low risk bets. You know, when we look at L'Oreal building fab beauty, which is a B2B site for them, you know, Even if, and you've made this point many times, even if it costs them a couple of million bucks, that's a rounding error in their advertising budget. You know, when we see Johnson & Johnson or when they buy Makeup.com, L'Oreal, or when Johnson & Johnson buys Baby Center, or when you see these companies that are starting to acquire publishing and media companies, what we forget is is that those companies are so much bigger and that this is a small, non-very, it's not a very risky bet for them to do this. It looks big. Because the media brands tend to be very public-facing and consumer-facing, and it looks exciting. And, but in the scheme of what they're doing from a business standpoint, it's actually not that big a bet.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's the same thing, and I, I bring it up all the time. But I always love to use the Apple New York Times comparison. And I gave a speech last week. And I was talking about – at the end of the speech, I was talking about my buy versus build. I basically said, uh, okay, well, you can build this whole thing and you can be patient. You can be focused and it's really hard work. Or – Just skip the whole thing and buy it, (laughs) and (laughs) exactly. And and, and then I gave you know I give a couple examples about what's already happened, and then I talk about you know what's Apple have right now in in cash on the sidelines, 150 billion or something. I think it might be no, it's like $300 300 billion. billion. it's like like, three hundred billion. Well, the market cap of the New York Times is about two, right? So you're right. Talk about a low risk. And man, if I was those, and I think that's the thing. It's like okay, you're going to actually start to see this with Apple. The same thing, what we saw today. You're going to see this with Apple because of the fact that I was talking. Except it's not going to be Disney. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You, we, we could we could agree. <laughs> you don't have to talk about Disney. But the fact no, is, right. is that they do not they do not have right now, in my opinion, a Steve Jobs vision that is going to take them anywhere uh, to, to these new heights. That they always say, oh, it's about design and user experience and changing yep. the world. Yep. I don't see that coming from Apple right now. I don't know if you do. I just don't see No, it. I don't. I don't.
0: I think you're right. I mean, and that's where everybody's criticizing Apple right now is, is that they don't have, you know, they. everybody says, you know, Tim Cook's an operations guy and Johnny Ive hasn't, you know, you know, it should have been Johnny Ive in terms of the vision and design vision and stuff like that. Now, we'll see. I mean, the Apple car is coming and we'll see if Apple TV, the actual TV, not just a little puck, but, you know, an, an actual television comes and we'll see what happens. And, in fact, Worldwide Developers Conference, by the way, is today. I mean, it got overshadowed with the LinkedIn uh, uh, Microsoft. My son you know, is like actually Worldwide watching it conference. right
1: now. He's oh, is he really? It, yeah. right. He's live-streaming it right now and watching it in front yeah. of one so of So we'll see what max. news
0: comes out of that. But, yeah, but I, but, I, but you're right, I think, overall. Yeah, it's because
1: we were arguing in the car about their product launches, and I'm basically saying, where's the innovation? What, what it, What's <laughs> iPhone 9.5? I love that be? you're having this conversation <laughs> with your son. <laughs> Well, it's him and his friend and they're talking about how awesome uh Apple is and I'm like, "I like Apple, but where are they going? Like what's next? They have right. they're so huge now. Like what what they're the largest company in the world by market cap right now." Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. So, I know this is totally not a content marketing conversation, but anyways, Microsoft LinkedIn, yeah. it happened. Get ready there for more. Uh it it'll be it'll be interesting. But I I totally That's agree with your take right. that people are missing the headline about what this what this really is.
0: Yeah. So. All right. Well, I'll take credit. Yeah, I better get credit in your LinkedIn. Oh, I will. All right. Thank you. Thank you very
1: much, sir. It's (laughs) definitely going to to happen.
0: Second story of the show. (laughs) Um, This one came to us. I mean, I had, I don't know if you had four or five or half a dozen people send you this. I had at least that many send me this article. Um, But I'm going to give a hat tip to Adam Helwa, Secret Sushi, uh, my good friend, um, who had sent this over with a bunch of comments um, attached to it. Um, And the story headline comes from Fast. FastCodesign.com, FastCompanyDesign.com, um, is the future of branding is debranding, says the headline of the article. And the article opens up by saying, As digital media blunts the impact of advertising, brands are looking for new ways to lure customers. Uh, the latest, buzziest effort has been to publish stories that look and feel like journalism. The key strategy of branded content, or native advertising, or insert your favorite word here, is to hide the commercial imperative and even the brand altogether so that readers think they are consuming a familiar newspaper or magazine. This is supposed to make brands seem more reliable, familiar, indispensable. But it's a sham. A short-sighted attempt to trick consumers into operating, opening Rather, their wallets instead of brands, real people and real tones of voice will become the interface between consumers and products. The article then goes on to describe about how debranding, this idea of more transparency, etc. Now I have kind of a ranty take on this. But before I jump into that, I wanted to get your your take on this. What did you, what I, did I you actually, think?
1: I actually – I have a couple – it took me a while to actually get this because the article goes in two different directions. I do have a small take on it. I really want to hear your rant. Could, could you please give okay. me the rant <laughs> yeah. first and then I'll talk about it. I want to hear it. Go ahead. Okay, fine. I, I'm
0: happy to do it. Okay, so here's the thing. The, The author goes on to say that branded content, the whole idea of branded content is basically a con um, and that you can't hide bad product with good content and that good stories have nothing to do with the quality of product. And so I'll get to that in just a second. There is one thing that the author says that I do agree with, which is that and they sort of basically sum up their argument by saying that the brand that screams the loudest is no longer commanding the attention. The one that offers something genuinely useful does. And I, of course we agree sure. with that. This is sort of the following the template of the content marketing is dead thing that we talk about all the time, which is you, know, you, you redefine, misdefine, um, the content marketing or branded content, then they go, see, it's bad. And then talk about something that creates value and then separate from the product or service and creates transparency and reliability and usefulness for the customer and say, that's the new way. It's like, well, okay, but what you're talking about is what we mean when we say content marketing. Yeah. So there's that. But, but here's the part where I, my challenge with this article. So the author goes to say that there are basically getting into the history and and you know, this is what, like with you with research, this is where I kind of go a little nuts. So they go on to start the history of three brands that sort of represent what this should be. In other words, this transparency, the idea of an authentic voice, a transparent voice, the, uh, the voice of the practitioner or proprietor, the ones they use. And, and this is just uh, that fascinated me. The three that they use as examples are Dr. Brown's soda, uncle Ben's and aunt Jemima. Now, the fascinating thing, and I don't know whether the author meant this as ironic or not, but to quite frankly, all three of those are commercial brands that are fictitious people. They don't exist. Those people didn't exist. (laughs) They're all three brands. That's so funny. Now, Dr. Brown might have been a real person. There's some debate about whether he was a real person or not, but it was basically quickly adopted as a Jewish-focused soft drink because it was kosher, and it was sold in delis in New York. It was a commercially created brand. Uncle Ben... The wonderful picture that you see of lovely Uncle Ben and the rice, that was actually a brand concocted by the company that was like the Rice Company of America or something like that. And they they used the Uncle Ben, who was actually a maitre d' at a hotel, so it was completely fictionalized character, this idea of Uncle Ben. It was a brand that was created. And by the way, Aunt Jemima, this is the one that's the worst of all because there were definitely no Aunt Jemima. It came from the minstrel songs who were sung by white people in blackface. The, the original Aunt Jemima was a guy in blackface, and so it's racist. So it's like these are the worst examples if you're trying to think of examples of brands that are actually transparent and represent the proprietary nature of a shopkeeper giving you the wonderful, honest product that you may want to buy. Now, that kind of destroys the argument right there, but I'm going to look past that. because Kind of?
1: Kind of destroys? Yeah. <laughs>
0: So but the, the point of all of that is, is that if we look past that to the point that the author's trying to make, which is that this idea of, you know, that we're trying to get beyond this superficiality of the brand and the, the meaning and all of that. But basically, yes, but that's just great branding evolved. We've been talking and I'm this is where I show my age. We've been talking about the end of conspicuous consumption since the 1980s. And so this idea of talking about experiences and talking about delivering authentic, transparent experiences, removing the sort of pitch, removing the product from the experience, I agree with all of that. It's, I mean, I, I wrote a book on it. And yes, people want experiences, not product. Yes, I agree. But here's the thing, that idea the focus on the transparency that is the new branding you can call it you can call it debranding if you like but it is a brand so and anyway so just to sum up not to rant too long here but my advice to the author here is before you try and predict the future you better understand your past and that's where this article just falls apart for me and so there's a good idea here somewhere it just wasn't presented very well
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of things wrong with this one i think and and when and when you the author talks about de-branding, it almost seems like they're talking about, okay, no more big, big logos, no more big advertising, right. no that's, more... but I mean, that's, that's what they're... Yeah, right. but that's... Branding is, the, you know, perception of what your customers and your audience feels about you as a company. It's all, I mean... It's, it's, the, promise. it's the promise. It's the promise. And you, it's... Th- those are just a few things that affect that promise, right? Or could affect that, prom- that promise as you go or their perception as they go. Um, That's right. Going. Um, the one thing that I thought was interesting, and I agreed with the beginning of this, where they're talking about native advertising on how everyone's trying to sort of fit in. And I thought of you immediately because that I would imagine you agreed with that part. It's like, hey, if you're going to purchase native advertising, you don't want to – blend in. You <laughs> right. want to stand out in some way.
0: Boy, did I throw a bomb into a bunch of publishers this week when I suggested that. When I suggested that native advertising was not meant to fit into their context of their paper or magazine. It was actually meant to make all their other content look horrible and basically stand out <laughs> well i think that's, the, that's yeah. you know it,
1: it, that's yeah. the thing that people miss it's like oh okay uh i'm gonna b- buy this native advertisement and we're gonna get some good engagement on it and we're gonna get some good reach and it's gonna fit <laughs> right. in it's gonna look just like everything else and you know what it's gonna do for for your company nada nothing. nothing unless you actually yeah. make an impact and get people talking and they and they better. know it and they know it comes from you
0: they, right I mean, you, make it better
1: well, and that that goes back to our whole conversation about if you are going to do a separate site, uh, create a separate content brand, you should actually let the people know that it's you, it's your brand that's creating that, so you get a little bit of the credit. Or they'll well, never know. Well, depending on
0: your goal, this is where you and I have a our 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 oh, weekly. Oh, do you fun feel that? Do you feel differently from that, debate? Robert?
1: I didn't realize yeah. that
0: you felt <laughs> you felt differently than that. I had no. I had depends no clue. on your goal, my friend. It depends on your goal.
1: Uh, you know, oh. this, just to, to finish this one up, uh, the end. <laughs> well played. Yeah, by exactly. The, way. The, the end of this really felt like a Jerry Maguire mission statement. It really did. Like said, instead of throwing your money away at another branded content, we're going to go back to great products and great design and durability, and we're going to have all these. Like, this is where right. it was built. Let me know how and that works out for yeah, you. Yeah. I, I just don't actually see this happening. I, I appreciate the the try on this one, but I think you're I, right. you know, look, I you know, it,
0: and 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 if this had been about if 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 you know, look, this, I, I think. I think this article was about three drafts short of a final piece and should have been really focused in on consumer packaged goods and if this had been focused on consumer packaged goods and the way that packaging should be more transparent it should the brands should shift into this idea of instead of being brought to you by Coca-Cola and shoving a logo on it that it should actually be transparent artisanal and where you're supposed you know where it was made and what you know all, i i would have bought into this hook line, line and sinker and but by broadening it out to an entire marketing strategy i think the the article lost its focus and thus lost its purpose and then by bringing those those three brands in particular to it just sort of crumbles
1: by the way did you watch the Tonys last night
0: i watched some of it i fell asleep um about halfway you through fell yeah asleep. i did watch some of it
1: during my I my did, show was I, I was on so, this tra- I, I was i was i was I had lack of sleep last that's week okay so I know I you so had a, you had a tough travel week as you go, but there was an yeah. interesting I have to go look it up, but Grant Thornton was sort of the sponsor of the night and they did sort of a native advertising ish piece a spoof thing, and I didn't get it at all and then they then they brought out the real announcers, but it was sort of a paid for placement. It's just, it's. Oh, interesting! Yeah, it, I've got to watch it again because it happens. I, it was. I was looking at the screen and I tilted my head like, "What is that?" is that an ad <laughs> is that it's this it's it's really interesting how it stood out it it, yeah, it did I, you know what and I knew, <laughs> I knew i knew the sponsor was grant thornton so much that i actually did a search on it this morning and i couldn't find there it, you. it. But, <laughs> but anyways it was that uh, it was interesting do we have well, a i know we're we're, we're going to we we have news. our last we have story morning? yeah our
0: last story of the show here is about our favorite platform um and this is uh publisher reach on facebook is apparently down 42%. I know this is going to shock you, Joe. I'm shocked. Um, This comes from Adweek.com, and the article opens up by saying, Publishers who have noticed their overall reach on Facebook has dramatically declined over the past few months can at least have peace of mind that they are not alone. According to an analysis by Social Flow, publishers on Facebook have experienced a rapid decline in overall reach during the past few months. The social analytics company examined 3,000 Facebook pages, most of which are publishers who have a collective annual impression count of around 500 billion so with a B, reaching 600 million unique users. And what it found might be a bit of a depressing piece all the way around to those hardworking journalists. In May, publishers produced around 550,000 posts that went through Social Flow's platform up from 470,000 in April. But overall reach from January to May was down 42% per post. As the Social Flow CEO, Jim Anderson, said um, in what might be an obvious quote, that's a pretty notable drop, he says. So, I
1: love that. I would love to see him I love and that quote. hear him actually say that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly. quite notable.
0: Hmm, yeah. That's 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 kind of for real. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've covered this for maybe too much in 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 some cases, but this is this is certainly no surprise if we if we look at it, but you know, what? I mean, I, I think I think the Publishers have just got to get and and have just got to get off the stick here and 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 understand that this is a this is a zero sum game at some point right where they they're just chasing good money after yeah bad. I'm
1: starting to call this the BuzzFeed effect actually because oh that's interesting that's, that's what I that's why when I do my presentations I call it the BuzzFeed effect because BuzzFeed. It, this all has happened around around you know BuzzFeed having the multi billion dollar valuation and then their their yeah. uh, earnings report revenue report came out. What it was it about a month ago? We talked about it on the show,
0: and That's right. they. Sh- yeah.
1: they've- been showing a significant shortfall, and then we're like, "Well, why are they having a shortfall?" And then we look at the social media stats, and we're like, "Oh, they're not getting uh, they're not getting the reach and engagement that they used to from social." And of course, now they're really trying to convert all those those followers and fans that they have into subscribers, specifically email subscribers. So it's it's interesting. Here's when I look at this this is a really interesting report that Social Flow here puts together. It seems to me that publishers know this is happening. And what publishers are doing is they're saying, okay, we need to create more content, which is exactly the right. wrong way to go. What they should be doing is saying, <laughs> <laughs> we should be creating less content, more impactful, less content. And I think that if you are trying to, okay, let, first of all, please don't game the algorithm because uh, that's, that's the world. But let so let's just say you're going to, Stick with Facebook. It's it's important to your brand. You're as a publisher, whatever the case is, then let's just work within the confines that we know will work. If we do something significant on a consistent basis, and we don't just say, okay, well we we created 500 uh, articles last month. Well, we're 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 reaches down, so let's create a thousand. It doesn't work that way, right? You will get the same or less. At least that's what Facebook is telling us right now. So it just seems to me that's what publishers are doing. You know, when I say publishers, I mean brands as well. That's whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, no, that's more, exactly more, right. More I mean, it more. Just, I would say yeah. less. The only way to salvation is less. Yeah. The
0: takeaway here is is that not to be, you know, not to follow in the footsteps of the publishers that may start, that may continue and or start to do this, which is. You know, as they start opening this up to brands, it is that is, you know, that is, there's there's no reason to ultimately put your content through here, you know, unless you understand that it's a paid medium and that you're targeting people to pull them into your own media property. Then there's there's no real other reason to do this because using Facebook as a platform, as a publishing platform where you can quote unquote build your presence is not is it's ultimately a race down to zero
1: there there so there. i don't even know what else i have to say on it it's just the whole thing stinks <laughs> well, well okay so
0: speaking here we go so here's the thing okay. speaking of creating value uh-huh. and i think what comes to mind is something that feels daunting but doable uh-huh. We have a wonderful, wonderful thing to talk about, a piece of content that, that
1: does drive action and wonderful value for consumers. Yes, in this ranty show, some good news for a change. <laughs> Special thanks to our sponsor of the Soul Marketing 135 this week, go to webinar. Did you know, Robert, that webinars are consistently rated as the number one marketer tactic for lead generation, with over sixty percent of all marketers utilizing webinars. Yes, webinars.
0: I've heard of this.
1: But many businesses, you know, still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. And oh, do we know that's true. Following a simple five-step plan, the keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from, yes, daunting... Daunting to doable. to doable. That's exactly right, my friend. From finding your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction, and webinar promotion, you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. Let's get this done. You gotta go and read this ebook. It's actually a very fantastic ebook. If you haven't downloaded it yet, done, yeah. please do. Go to cmi.media/pnr135. That's cmi.media/slash 1pnr135 um, to get the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar it'll also be in our show notes on thiswholemarketing.com and thanks again to our wonderful i think if if actually we have if we were doing uh keeping tabs of this i believe go to webinar has been has sponsored pnr more than anyone else I'm pretty sure. That's I think the that's case. probably true. I think that's probably pretty. We true. love all of our sponsors, yeah. but right now we have a special place in our heart for GoToWebinar. <laughs> right? Love the one you win <laughs> exactly, love and the then one when they're not win. advertising, it'll be somebody else we love. But right now, we love GoToWebinar. That's how it
0: is. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show. If you haven't gotten enough rants from us today, it is time for our rants and rave section of the show, where Joe and I go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over some. That well makes us feel really good, really good about moving forward, or sort of just you know, just not good. Um, and let's see, I guess I have this old marketing, so I'm going first. Yes, you are. Uh, um, so let's see, I have, I guess it, you'd call this a commentary, it's not, it's certainly not a rant on the articles themselves. These are two really good articles. Um, and so just to make that clear, and a little bit of other shiny good news um, for the show. But I'm going to pair two stories together because I think it speaks to an overall trend. This is something that I actually talked about. Um, at the talk uh, that I was at this week. I I gave two talks this week, coincidentally, not by design, to publishing groups. One to a very large B2B um, publishing association, um, and then the other to a publishing group of different types of both business-to-consumer and business-to-business magazines. It was a magazine sort of uh, a group. And in both talks, I talked about the opportunity for publishers um, and specifically the opportunity to become more strategic with marketers. More and more I'm seeing marketers become much more attuned to what's going on in the publishing world, certainly as content marketing becomes more effective and and grows and becomes a more important piece of the marketing arsenal. And the publishers that are there, one of the skill sets that they really bring to bear is this idea of how to build an audience. They really, they know how to do it. This is their core business. And I think this is something where marketers and those who are in the publishing industry can really get together and do strategic, wonderful things. Not lost on, which of course is everything we've talked about. In this show. Now, these two articles that talk, that I'm going to sp- link to in the show notes and then also sort of speak to this, is really where agencies are these days because I think agencies, it's been a bad week for and bad month, really, and maybe even a bad year for the agency world, especially the larger, bigger agencies out there in the world. And I think. There is an opportunity here for both agencies to fix themselves and get better at this. And I think there's also a weakness right now that publishers, quite frankly, can take advantage of. So I think it's a really interesting time. The two articles that I'm going to call attention to are one from the TheMediaBriefing.com, which is this article about how there is a changing relationship between publishers and and agencies. And the article opens up by saying that there's been some clear stages in the long evolution of content delivery. Um, and this, as the author of this article says, is the beginning of what he calls the third age, where he talks about the relationship between agencies and publishers, which has traditionally been as really buyer and seller of media products, in other words, them media buyers from the agencies buying the real estate that has been available in, in, in AD or excuse me, the publishers. And This relationship in many ways is completely and fundamentally shifting where brands as content producers and publishers as offering marketing services are beginning to really conflict and challenge each other. And this is really an interesting opportunity, whether agencies can actually evolve and get good at this publishing thing, which quite frankly, they're not yet or whether, a, whether publishers themselves can really get good at offering marketing services. And I note, you know, as I did a little research into my talks, that how many publishers are actually starting to now purchase and buy marketing service companies. And the second uh, article that I'll point to is comes from Digiday, and it's this Confessions of an Agency CEO where they went through and they actually got sort of anonymous confessions of what's going on at agencies right now in this tech-driven, data-driven world and as the article opens up and says the purpose of marketing is to drive sales which is why ostensibly brands hire agencies, many times when the new technologies come out and this is especially true today, whether it's QR codes or wearables, augmented reality, virtual reality, marketing automation, content management, all these things, agencies are pushing clients down the roads of trying all these new technologies not because they know it will be effective, but because quite frankly it drives revenue for them and they know, and this is where the big article Comes in. Actually, they they know going in that it's going to fail, and this was the sort of confessions of an anonymous person in an agency where they're actually admitting, quite frankly, that they're driving them down the purchase of these technologies and implementation of these technologies, not because they know it's going to be successful. In fact, they know quite the opposite. But it's to either win awards or to uh, drive revenue, and that is. I have to say, not surprising to me. I know, I've just, I know it, I see it, I observe it where I see agencies doing really odd things because quite frankly, it drives short-term revenue, it drives implementation costs and it drives um, the idea of a client and they know quite frankly that the client is either A, never gonna be able to build it, sustain it or make ROI out of it, but it drives short-term revenue opportunities for the agency, And there's all sorts of things that I certainly don't have time to go into today that are really the source of that, the shortening duration of brand's hiring agency and how ephemeral those relationships are and they're not strategic partnerships anymore, to the idea of publishers starting to come in and drink some of the agency's milkshake and all those things. My only point in all of this is that this is an opportune time, 2016, moving into 2017, Agencies have to get their act together and get undisrupted and figure this out, and publishers now have an opportunity to actually take advantage of this disruption and evolve their business and get into this business, and I am fascinated to sit and help and watch this all happen. I think it's an exciting time, and I think it's going to be very interesting to watch over the coming 6, eight, nine, 12 months. But
1: do you think it will happen with the publisher side?
0: I don't know that the tr- the truthful answer is, I don't know. I, because there is so much resistance at the publishers right now to get into this business. There are, I mean, I see so much publishers, resistance. people that have um, been in
1: publishing don't want to be in this business.
0: I know they don't. I know they don't. And the agencies, quite frankly, don't want to be in the publishing business. Um, because, but it's, it, but there is such great energy and i hate the word synergy but there is great synergy there and i can just see them combining to do great things together but right now they're sort of squaring off across the ring from each other and saying what are you doing no what are you doing no what are you doing and and this relationship which is why this i thought this article was so wonderful that talked the media briefing.com article was so great because it really does talk speak to this idea that the relationship between agencies and publishers is fundamentally changing, and what it's changing into, I don't think anybody really knows yet. But there's, there's opportunity on both sides.
1: So it's interesting with uh, with my. I guess this is a yeah. This is definitely a rant for sure. Absolutely a rant that I'm going to give you right now. You, you ready for it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm ready. I just want before I start this rant out, I do want to mention that I have been actually quite positive on the industry lately with uh, with. You know what Pepsi came out with, and what Mandalay. Basically, talking about content marketing as a profit center. Of course, you and I talked about that at length on the last episode. So here I am. I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like you know we've really sort of. <laughs> you turned- ought to be feeling good after the last couple well, of weeks. You feel <laughs> well. <be feeling> pretty. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for that, Robert. Um, yes. But let's just put that to the side for a second now. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. Let's put. Let's just go ahead and put that. Oh, <laughs> let's well, just yeah, put are going go right to the side. Yep, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a put this right over here. I'm a. I'm I'm
0: going to put this right here. Put uh,
1: this right here. So I had the opportunity to judge a few categories for our annual content marketing oh, awards. No. Don't get me
0: started on this. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Go. Go. So. Go. Uh,
1: yeah. So basically, we're. By, and by the way, the big award winners for that will be announced at Content Marketing World in September. Yeah. And, and so I have to get this portion off off of my chest. There. I I ran through a number of awards. And there are a large number, and I mean a large number of agencies and brands out there that simply do not get the basic approach of content marketing. And it boggles my mind. Now, I'm super excited that we set a record uh, number this year for the, the number of applications for the awards, but some of them uh, should not have submitted anything. <laughs> and I'm going to give you some examples. We're going we're gonna to talk about that right now. So,
0: Oh no! Not gonna okay. no, no. I'm not All mentioning right.
1: any names. I'm not mentioning. I can't do that because okay. that, that right. would be wrong yeah. to do that. We don't. We don't do things like that. Now, one was in measurement and it was for uh, an ebook asset, and the ROI, the return on investment, was based totally on views and downloads. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely sure, right. nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to submit for overall. Return on investment. Like, this has got to be – I'm expecting something that tells (laughs) me that you're changing behavior in some way. That's what I'm expecting to see. Not that you have some sort of reach with that. Okay, I'm not going to set that to the side for a second. We're setting lots of things to the side. I'm going to set another. Here's another. Okay, right. On on multiple applications for overall content marketing program of the year award, there were a number of – traditional advertising and direct mail programs that just leverage social and digital distribution. They weren't even content marketing examples at all. They were they were interesting ways to talk about their products and services. Uh, they were, you know, sometimes three, sometimes six-month campaigns. Often they, I mean, you're talking about they use the word campaign and they weren't, Right. They basically were that. talking yeah. about, oh, yeah, we, we have this new product out. We were doing this and that. And then we this is how much attention we got. And we got a number of deals through it. And I'm like, that's really good. I'm really happy for them. Not content marketing. I don't know why. Exactly. Did they submit to the wrong wards program? But, <laughs> but anyways, I digress a little bit. There were a number of really good ones. And, and ones that I believe there
0: were some great, I, Uh, I, I, in the categories I judged, it was, it seemed to be the extremes, right? Yeah. There was, you know, I I would see amazing work being done. And then to your point, I would get it where it's like, you know, this, this was a wonderful ad campaign that we ran on blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, that's wonderful con lion would like yeah exactly the
1: addy awards of some kind right right. they they would they would be perfect and by the way i saw a couple like really amazing ad ad programs that i said oh this is fantastic i absolutely love it not not content marketing at all not even close it's not even sniffing anything content related but (laughs) you know great advertising Um, So I don't know if there are certain people in a a large uh, agency or organization that just – they submit to everything and it really doesn't matter what the categories are. Maybe that's what it was. I just – I I became a bit dejected. Now, what what brings me back here are the ones that really are getting it because there are some – Awesome ones where i 'm like, Oh my God, this is beautiful, this is exactly what we 're talking about it's the right approach it's done patiently over time you're targeting on a targeting a very specific audience you're looking at behavior change over time you're measuring it the right way that I love, but still a long way to go, my friend,
0: yeah, no, exactly right well, then this is the work the the work is ahead of us the work the the work remains you are ahead doing god 's work <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. We've
1: yes, the episode kind of just went there. Quickly. We might as well just end yeah. up quickly with a this old marketing, and then we'll be done.
0: Absolutely. At well, we have a fun one. We have a fun this old marketing. Um, for all of you geeks and nerds out there um, like us, um, this will be a fun this old marketing. So I got... So I... I this This week... I was reminded. I had a wonderful conversation with somebody when I was in Toronto, actually, um, at the, one of the publisher conferences. We started talking about the Commodore computer. Did you have a Commodore? Were you a Commodore kid? Did you have a Commodore, Commodore?
1: sixty-four?
0: I yeah, loved there it. There you go, Commodore sixty-four. Now I had both. I had the Commodore and I had the TRS eighty, the Radio Shack um, uh, Tandy TRS eighty, which was a which was a great thing. And anyway, so I had a Commodore. And and we started talking about that, and we started talking about the fact that there was a magazine, and we couldn't remember the name of it. And I was like, "All right." And so I started doing a little research into these computer magazines of the 1980s, and I started to see an interesting trend. Now, I spent a sum total of I don't know four or five hours, which <laughs> maybe more. Maybe that surprises some of you how much time <laughs> I spent on this, but but. But I spent about four or five hours doing some research into these. So I did not even scratch the surface of the total number of computer magazines. But here's the trend that I started to notice. I started to notice how many of them started as content marketing platforms, wonderful magazines started by the company to deliver value to the consumers, and then were ultimately acquired by publishers in other words publishers came in and bought them or acquired them or assumed them from the company just a couple just to sort of talk about it so the transactor that was the name of the magazine i was trying to find was which was for commodore that was launched and that was by the way the guy that and when i was in toronto talking about because it was actually started by commodore canada um, up there that magazine was launched in 1978 it was the official international bulletin of commodore canada to all of the, the, the user groups that were there. And even in the early days, they were simply low-tech... Photocopied, Well, mimeographed in those days um, and went out to, you know, on a monthly release schedule and talked about all the wonderful things and best practices and how to's of using a computer. And of course, it happened to be a Commodore that you were using. It was then um, acquired in 1982. So whatever that is for yeah, for roughly four years later and launched as a complete independent bi-monthly advertiser supported publication by a publisher. Then you go to, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden I looked at Atari and Atari Age. Atari Age, created in 1982, was given to all the Atari Club members. If you signed up for Atari Club, you got the magazine. And it was a wonderful uh, a, a, a magazine that talked about best practices and games and all that kind of stuff. And then it was uh, acquired um, basically in uh, in, the, in the 80s um, after Warner Communications. Um, and then ultimately that was sold off to a a private investor when Atari got sold off as well. Then we look at um, Dr. Dobbs Journal, which was one of my go-to magazines in the 80s and, and, and late 80s for sure. Bob Albrecht, who started that, he started basically this eccentric little newspaper about computer games, and how they were programmed in basic language and all that kind of stuff. And Dr. Dobbs journal came out of that and was ultimately then brought into official publishing, um, as a, official publisher took it over. And then finally the acorn user, acorn user magazine, which was made by acorn computers in the early eighties. It was basically a newsletter for uh, their, their customers and how to do things better on a computer and how to do all these wonderful things that would be get created. And it was then, acquired by a publishing company who was ultimately a former publisher at Haymarket um, and ultimately became the Acorn magazine and, and launched for, and was around for many years as an advertising support. I, and I'm sure there are others. I'm sure there are many others there, but those are just four that came leaping to mind as I started doing this research and I thought it was a fascinating trend here are these computer companies that started content marketing platforms in a new and nascent industry this computing industry, personal computing industry that were ultimately the publishers were then on the ball, saw the pivot saw the market opportunity to say we can create a media property out of this bought these magazines or assumed these magazines in many cases, made them advertising supported, made them around building an audience and then ultimately made a success out of them and I find it fascinating that Now we're almost in the exact, just to our point that we were making earlier in the show, this show, which is we're almost in the opposite way now, right? Where brands are starting to look at publishers that have created wonderful magazines and figuring out how to acquire them and make them content marketing platforms. So I just thought it was a really interesting example of this old market. It's
1: fascinating. I, do you think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that publishers back in that day had a, a, a bit more money and funds? and let's say some of these brands well, were and the brands I, were like, hey, I think take that, it, please. I think there's some
0: of that. Yeah, I think there's definitely some of that. I think the other thing that really struck me was how many of them were started by, you know, this was the equivalent basically of blogging, right? I mean, in those days, it was very homegrown, very community oriented, very much solopreneur focused where you had very few experts who would start a publishing platform. And, you know, this is before the internet. So it was the equivalent of a blog whether it was a newsletter or whether it was a magazine or whatever it was. And it was basically their blog on this passionate thing they were doing called personal computing. And I think what the publishers started to do was they weren't the experts in this space by any stretch of the imagination. And they started to see how much of an audience there was for this topic and started to acquire the more popular quote unquote blogs, quote unquote um, of these newsletters and turn them into real publications, which then would expand into and take advantage of the growth of the industry. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. If we start looking at the lens and we say, okay, I'm a brand, our approach, maybe it's new, maybe it's revolutionary, maybe it's innovative. Who are the real experts in this? Who are the bloggers? Who are the interesting publishers in this space who are making, creating wonderful audiences? And might we acquire them? You can even start to see it happening a little bit where we can look at these bloggers, these smaller companies and say, you know, this is an opportunity for us to acquire a platform and have have the expertise, as well as the trust of an audience that also supports our approach to to going to market. You know, I look at HubSpot's acquisition of Agency Post as a great example of that.
1: If uh, if these if they had a publisher's mentality. This would be natural to them. It's just not natural. They're just not thinking about it. That's right. It's such a huge opportunity. That's exactly opportunity. right. Because you just do that naturally as a publisher. You always say, well, before I build this thing, let's see what's available. You just said, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. You just do that. Yeah. Bro, but, but marketers are like, oh, we got to create the blog ourselves. Of course we do. It's got to be ours. It's got to be our branding. It's right.
0: Like, it's the not invented here yeah, syndrome. Exactly. Yeah, for sure.
1: And it's, it's rampant right now. So, yeah. All right, exactly my friend, right. what do you got going
0: on this week? Yeah. I am home this week. I am heads down. I've got a lot of writing to do. I have so much writing to do, but um, I'm thankfully home this week um, before I go out of town one last time for one more speaking engagement um, before I'm home again for my birthday and then um, and then the Fourth of July holiday. So yeah, oh. so I'm home this week doing doing stuff. Somebody's got a
1: birthday coming up. It's yeah, very exciting. I know.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and you? Yeah, I'm actually you? home this week and then uh, I leave uh, I leave early next week for for London. So I'll be in London for actually a week. Oh, London. So I'm speaking, London yeah, I'm speaking at the B2B marketing summit uh in Islington. Oh, so and then okay. I'll I'll be, I'll be I'm assuming my invite got lost in the mail on that one. Uh so you'll, you'll be speaking there sure. next year. I <laughs> I can almost promise you that. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. Taking the family, it'll be it'll be super fun. Oh oh, that's right. I forgot that you're doing that. That's such yeah. a great thing. Oh, we're really that's really excited awesome about the whole thing. And and the boys have all the places they want to go, and of course I oh, do as well. I so I love that. I love be, that. It'll be fun. Okay,
0: fantastic. All right. Well, that is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off for this episode. And if you like this episode, number 135, all ranty rant rant McRanterson of it, (laughs) we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you subscribe, if you subscribe, let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. We'd love to thank you personally. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the wonderful show ideas um, and all the stuff that you sent over this week. There were so many of you who sent over articles um, and uh, with the events that happened this week obviously we didn't get to as many stories as we might like to get to but thank you for that and continue sending us those articles hashtag us up at this old marketing on the Twitter and if you like to send email you can also send us an email at this old marketing at dot com all the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that will come out on Monday night in the show itself and of course on the show post at this old marketingcom on Saturdays until next week everybody remember It is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.